0: first church when it initially started found itself in a position where literally just a few weeks before the founder of their movement had been killed and all the followers had scattered you know not really the the kind of way you would want want to start a new movement and uh, those who remained were in grave danger of being rounded up and killed Um, so in that sense things were not looking good but you know the story don't you Jesus came back to life again And a few weeks later, after that, uh, the church exploded with life and expanded rapidly. And in the last few sessions, we've been looking at Acts of God. Uh, We've seen that this came about because of the infilling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit. If you're here for the first time, you're incredibly welcome. And you can catch up. And those of you who come regularly who've missed anything, you can catch up on the previous talks on our podcast feed. So let's pick up the story in the book of Acts, in the Bible, chapter 2, verse 5. We're told, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee. You could tell by their accent, came from up north. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. The loud noise they reacted to was a group of about 120 followers of Jesus who had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the result of that infilling was they were filled with boldness, they were excited, there was lots of noise, there was speaking in languages that these people had never learnt that were just a gift from God. And in verse 12, we're told, as they stood there, amazed and perplexed, what can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Isn't it strange that on this occasion, being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit caused people to think that they were drunk? Now, I've seen that happen many a time. People who looked drunk, when there wasn't a drop of alcohol in the building. It was just their senses were being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't always happen that way, though, does it? Uh, It doesn't necessarily happen in the same way to every person in in the building. It can be completely different because God meets with each of us uniquely and individually. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, it can look different every time. And just because it looks different to the previous time, it doesn't mean that it's therefore wrong or not as good as it was before. It's just different. And uh, as I said, God uh, uniquely interacts with each of us, knowing exactly what we need. And uh, he knows how we'll react. He can know what we can handle. and, uh, And he's good. But power does have an impact, doesn't it? If I was to can't see where the nearest socket is, probably behind the piano over here. If I was to stick my fingers into the electricity socket and turn it on, there would be a reaction, wouldn't there? I wouldn't just stand there and say, this is a very interesting experience. I'm experiencing some power flowing through my body. That would be a bit more dramatic than that, wouldn't it? Because power has an impact. Imagine what it's like when the power that created the universe, that created every single star and, and system and life and everything else, when that power flows through you and me, it's hardly surprising that there's going to be a reaction sometimes. Now, thankfully, God doesn't turn the amp up to 11. Uh, he knows how much we can handle. Uh, I have known and read about people who've said, God, that's, I can't take any more. Can you just dial it down a bit? but uh, he knows what we can take. But despite this injection of power, this was much more than 120 people in an upstairs room making a lot of noise. You know, we could, we could turn the amps up. They didn't have amplification. We could turn the amps up. We could make as much noise as we wanted, and Oxford would carry on as normal. Something different was going on. God was at work. And God gathered these religious pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival. Something stirred in their hearts. Something drew them. It reminded me, as I was thinking about this, of the stories that came out of the Hebrides revival in 1949. I think we've got a picture coming up. Um, Led by uh, Duncan Campbell, the guy with the, uh, the white collar, the dog collar. Uh, and it started in this tiny little church in Barvis in 1949. One Sunday, they were having their evening meeting. God was moving powerfully. The church was packed full of people. Uh, They hadn't seen the church full of people for a long time, many, many years, decades probably. And in fact, they had been writing about, you know, the poor state of religion, as they called it, And uh, suddenly this church was full, and when they finished their meeting and they opened the doors, there were another 600 people outside, waiting because something had drawn them. On another occasion, they finished their meeting, and uh, they were called to the police station because hundreds of people had gathered outside the police station, and the people didn't know why they were there. They didn't know what had drawn them, they just found themselves, along with a whole crowd of other people, at the police station. And so that was another opportunity to be able to tell them about Jesus, and hundreds of people came to Jesus. A powerful move of God is so much more than good songs, nice, venue, the activity of an alive church. It is that God is at work in the lives of people who are far from him. Some of them may have been searching God, like the... These uh, pilgrims who'd come up to Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival, they may be searching, but other times it is uh, touching people who have no concept whatsoever of their need for God. No concept at all that God even exists. But we can be sure that God is at work today and that he's doing similar things. We need to be ready. These events on the the day of Pentecost would have reminded Jesus' followers of what he had said and done. So, for example, in Matthew 9, verse 35, we're told, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we see the continuation of the acts of God through the early church. We see an incredible expansion. We see them doing exactly what Jesus did with the you know, Because Jesus wasn't with them anymore, they had the Holy Spirit to help them, to empower them. We looked about that the other, uh, the other week. And uh, this was based upon the fact that there is a harvest to be brought in. But on the day of Pentecost, there were plenty of people to help bring the harvest in as well. And even today, churches who are getting out into the harvest field are seeing a harvest come in. For those of us who believe in Jesus and follow him, there is an understanding that we're part of the same process. But I wonder how that makes you feel. Already, probably probably some of you are starting to feel guilty or just a, oh dear, what's coming next kind of thing. As many of you know, I'm an introvert. I grew up painfully shy. I think I'm the, the shyest person that I've ever met. And so at times, this idea of going out into the harvest field Uh, it still at times fills me with horror. I know that's not a very spiritual thing for a church leader to admit, but I think most of you know about that anyway. And I think that many of us are afraid that we have to go out into this harvest field and that maybe we even have to become somebody different, somebody other than who we are, and that we have to try and use gifts that we don't have. But that's not the way... I see God works. He's designed us intelligently and deliberately. Even the person sitting next to you, God designed intelligently with exactly the skills and abilities that we need to be able to fulfill everything he calls us to do. You have got everything you need to be able to do everything that God has called you to do. And the Bible says that because we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. It's all there. But at the same time, some of those gifts are given in seed form, aren't they? We need to develop them. We need to let them grow. We need to be willing to move out of our comfort zone and be willing to take risks in order for these gifts to grow. It'll be very easy to read this next section of the story and think that we all have to be like Peter. For example, Acts chapter 2 verse 14, Peter stood with the 11 apostles and spoke in a loud and clear voice to the crowd. Friends and everyone else living in Jerusalem, listen listen carefully to what I have to say. And as a result of the talk that he gave, 3,000 people were uh, brought to faith in Jesus that day. Now, the thought of having to stand up in front of even a small crowd of people I know fills many people with uh, absolute terror, let alone standing in front of a huge crowd like that. Well, here's some good news to you, for you. This is just one type of evangelistic gift. One of many different gifts. And not many people are called to use this particular gift. Billy Graham would have been uh, an excellent example of someone who had that gift and learned to use it well. And I think we've got a picture there of Billy Graham preaching at Wembley. Um, I think my mum and her sister are in the crowd there somewhere. They both came forward with that huge crowd and gave their lives to Jesus uh, in those meetings. And this is the gift of preaching evangelism. It's not one that many people use. And certainly not many people use it as effectively as Billy Graham did. I've seen some fruit using this gift over the years. Not quite on that scale, unfortunately. I think the most in one meeting I've seen is 12 people come to faith. And uh, I was stoked by that. But I know that if we bring our friends on a Sunday morning... The combination of God's presence in the worship and in the way we welcome each other and the the evangelistic preaching combined with all the other factors as well means that there is a good chance our friends will come to Jesus. And over the last 25 and a half years, we have seen loads of people come to faith in these meetings on a Sunday. On many occasions, people were waiting to do an Alpha course and so they came along on a Sunday because someone had invited them to an alpha course. They came along on a Sunday and they, be- they gave their lives to Jesus on the Sunday before they'd even done the course. Another kind of evangelistic gift that we see at work in the, uh, the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts is power evangelism. And if you've never read John Wimber's book of that title, Power Evangelism, highly recommend it. One of the most basic books we need to have read, I think. And uh, evangelism is one of the main gifts that Jesus used to draw people to faith. And we see the early believers in Jesus doing exactly the same thing. Jesus gave them a model of what to do, and they just carried on doing it. An example of this was when Peter and John were walking up to the temple. They were going there to pray. They saw a man who was begging. They had probably seen him countless times because this guy was 40 years old he was born a cripple he had been there at the entrance to the temple every day Jesus probably went past him numerous times the followers of Jesus went past him time and time again but then this day was a special day for him and uh, he was begging Peter and John looked in at him intently and Peter said look at us The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand because he hadn't been healed. He prayed for him, but he hadn't been healed. So he did what Jesus did. He took the lame man by the hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Uh, I don't know if you can imagine the scene in this very religious, you know, everything had to be in the right place, and people doing the right thing, and a man dressed in rags comes into the temple, leaping, shouting praise to God, and generally making a bit of a scene. And so a crowd gathered, and Peter once again explained to the crowd how this man had been healed and how they could have relationship with Jesus. As a result, another 2,000 people put their faith in Jesus. But power evangelism doesn't have to involve huge crowds of people. It may be that we pray for just one person, and they experience the reality of Jesus, and then we explain to them how they can come into relationship with Jesus. So we do the works, and then we do the words of Jesus. It's just one-to-one. And that's something that all of us can do. Uh, Notice, Peter said, I'll give you what I have. Well, there's a challenge, isn't there? What do you have? Do you have Jesus? If so, you can do this, because you're simply giving people what you have. And this is the normal way that people in the Bible came to faith. There are very few examples, there are just one or two, where healing or some kind of supernatural event wasn't involved. One Sunday morning, uh, a guy in his uh, early 20s came up to the front for prayer. He was a student, I think. And uh, for some reason, I was asked to come over and pray for him. I can't remember what we prayed about or why I was asked to come over. So we prayed for him. And uh, when we finished, I just had that little nudge to ask do you know Jesus personally? And he said, no, I don't. So I said, would you like to? And he said, yes, please. And so I introduced him to Jesus. And it was as easy as that. He might have said no, and that's fine as well. Apologetics is another way of leading people to faith. Uh, This is explaining our faith and being willing to answer the questions that people have with regard to Uh, what we believe. And some people are incredibly gifted at this. For many people, there are genuine barriers to their coming to faith. And um, simply because they don't understand, simply because they haven't been given the information that they need to be able to say, oh, right, that makes sense. Therefore, as many of you know, for C.S. Lewis, he came to Oxford as a devout atheist and remained that way for a long time. And uh, it was only through a logical process of discussion and having his questions answered that he came to the logical conclusion that there has to be a God. And then it was about another two years that he then worked out that that God had to be Jesus. And so there's a, there's a process that some people need to be able to talk through uh, these important issues. And you know typically the subjects are, how can God allow suffering if he is loving and powerful? Hasn't science disproved faith? Why do bad things happen to good people? Aren't all religions the same? Now, some people use these questions as excuses and barriers that they erect to hide behind. They have no intention, really, of seeking the truth or if they are convinced of turning their life over to Jesus. But for some, these important questions have to be answered before they're ready to come to faith. In Acts chapter 17, Paul takes the opportunity presented to him in Athens to be able to debate with the top intellectuals in the city. Acts 17, 21. More than anything else, the people of Athens and the foreigners living there love to hear and talk about anything new. So Paul stood up in front of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you're very religious. As I was going through your city and looking at the Uh, The things you worship, I found an altar with the words, to an unknown God. You worship this God, but you don't really know him, so I want to tell you about him. And the result was that a few people came to faith. And that has led some people to dismiss this way, these apologetics, as too intellectual because it doesn't see the same fruit as power evangelism and preaching evangelism through the rest of the book of Acts. But you have to understand the context was completely different. On the day of Pentecost, Jerusalem was filled with people who had come to worship. Their hearts were open. They were tuned in. And very often you'll find it so much easier to pray for a a witch or um, somebody who's a Muslim or a Hindu or somebody who's actively seeking rather than someone who's an atheist. Pentecost, full of people who are already open to God. But in Athens, the people didn't appear to be spiritually open, and most of them were just there for intellectual discussion. They loved just arguing about stuff. And we find exactly the same thing in Oxford as well. Somebody said to us when we planted, you can discuss absolutely anything in Oxford, but if you try and put anything into practice, you will be opposed. And I think that's why the fruit was less in Athens. But people did come to faith and we should be grateful if people come in ones and twos as well as if they come in thousands. We also have Philip using a number of different gifts. He used preaching and power evangelism together. We also see him working one-to-one with personal evangelism. The Holy Spirit directed him to go and speak to a man riding in a chariot. So, the Holy Spirit uh, said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So Philip ran over to catch up and then walked along, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And so Philip explained that bit from the Bible, pointed out that it was a bit that was pointing to Jesus, and explained and he led him to Jesus. So just one-to-one. Individual witness is uh, an important evangelistic gift. Paul went up to Philippi on one of his ministry trips, and he went out to the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. And uh, he was looking for people who were already spiritually open. He would do that wherever he went. Uh, He didn't want to make life any harder than it was already, so he went for the people who are spiritually open. Acts 16, verse 13. We sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. So she was uh, a God-fearer. She didn't actually know Jesus personally. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. So it seems that of... All that little group of women, Lydia was possibly the only one on that day who responded to Jesus. Paul simply explained what we believe as followers of Jesus, and Lydia, who was already spiritually open, gave her life to Jesus. All that is necessary here is a willingness to explain what we believe, to be a witness to what God has done for us and what we've seen him do. And we can do that individually with our friends. We can do that with small groups. The largest revival that this country has ever seen was during the time of John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley used to travel the country on horseback, often speaking two or three times a day in people's homes. And so he was regularly just talking to small groups, twos, threes, fours, maybe as many as 12. That was the normal way he went about things. And that was the way that the revival spread. Now, we hear about him standing in fields and preaching to thousands and the incredible things that happened. But most of what he did was just ones and twos, small groups, individual witness. We saw a few weeks ago how personal witness is incredibly powerful. If you Remember the story, most of you probably will, of the woman at the well who had the briefest of encounters with Jesus. Literally lasted a a few minutes. But she went back into the town. She told everyone what had happened. And the result of this simple witness was that the whole town came to listen to Jesus. And in John 4, uh, 42, the people in the town said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. And we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So sometimes there's a little links in the chain. You know, we, we do our little bit and then somebody else does another bit and Jesus does his bit as well. A, there are other evangelistic gifts uh, such as invitation. In Acts chapter 10, a man, man called Cornelius, who we are told was a God-fearer, so another person seeking after God, invited all his friends to hear what Peter had to say. Verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea, that's uh, Peter and his gang, uh, the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. He hadn't even surrendered his life to Jesus at this point, but he invited his friends to come and hear. And the result was everybody in the building came to faith in Jesus, simply because of a simple invitation. Obviously anybody can do that. But actually some people find that they are particularly good at inviting people. It just seems to come so naturally to them in the same way that other things come naturally to other people. Uh, For some people it's storytelling. You just find that you're, you're a natural. You just find yourself telling stories. There are lots of stories to tell. For other people it's serving. All of us can serve, but some people are particularly wired that way. And each one of these can combine with the others as well. You tell somebody a story about what God's done, and then you say, would you like to come along and hear more about that? And if they say no, that's fine. The variety of evangelistic gifts is huge, and God uses a unique blend of them in each one of us. Every one of us is already gifted evangelistically. We just need to learn to use those gifts. I just want to finish off with something I think probably everybody here knows Jesus. Um, a vineyard church recently did some research, and they asked all the people who had come to faith in Jesus through their church uh, and were now active members, how they came to faith in Jesus. What was the process? Were there things that were similar? And in virtually every case, it looked like this. Thank you. So the first thing that happened is that people had friends. And uh, people made friendships outside of the church. And that's the beginning of the process in virtually every single case. The second thing that happened was that people invited their friends along to what they called outside socials, events uh, that the church put on, things like the men's clay shoot, the community bake-off, other community events, Uh, easy things to invite friends along to. The next thing are the the special Sundays. Members of the church invited their friends again, this time particularly at Christmas, Easter, to baptisms and events like that. And uh, one of the wonderful things about having this venue is that we are going to be able to meet on Easter Day. So we we have suddenly become a proper church. We can actually meet at Easter. And uh, so we're going to... Gather, we're going to worship, and then the talk will be, believe it or not, about Easter. It will be evangelistic, so that's an opportunity for us to invite our friends along. The next thing they call inside socials, and uh, these are social events that are not put on by the church, but are put on by us as individuals, and uh, uh, we, but we invite a mixture of churched and unchurched people along together. Then uh, people invited their friends to Sunday services, uh, just the, the regular weekly ones, and then people came to faith. Now you may wonder, or maybe you don't because you saw the slide when it first came up, where does Alpha fit into this? And what they found was, that's where Alpha fits in doesn't fit in at the top. It doesn't, it's not one of the first things that we invite our unchurched friends along to, although we can, but in virtually every case where they saw people come to faith, there had been a lot of work done in building relationship, inviting people along to other events before they invited them along to the Alpha course. The leadership team uh, have been talking about Uh, what we sense God saying about growth and outreach and so on. And we're looking at the idea of running a church-wide Alpha course in the autumn. So this would be in place of our small groups. We would all be involved in it. And uh, there are various different bits that need to be done. But as you can see from this, in order for us to be successful in September, end of September, when the Alpha course would start, we've got a bit of work to do beforehand, haven't we? We've got a bit of inviting to do for our friends and neighbours. For the Alpha Course to be a success, we each need to build friendship with people outside of the church to invite them along to different social events, both ones that are organised centrally and the ones that are organised personally. And they said it, it doesn't matter exactly the order that those two come in. They just notice that they happen. We can invite our friends along to Sunday services where they will start to experience the presence of God and they'll come in and they'll suddenly realise, oh, I know these people because I've seen them at these different things that have been going on. And then we can invite them along to Alpha as well. The encouragement from the book of Acts is that God uses ordinary people with lots of different kinds of gifts in different kinds of ways to bring about the expansion of the church. There are a few of us who are called to preach evangelistically. I believe all of us can do power evangelism. Some are skilled or can grow in apologetics. All of us have a mixture of individual witness, storytelling, invitation, serving, all these different things. There are It's like many of the gifts. Everybody can do them. All, all of them, but then as we start to use them, we find God uh, grows us particularly in certain areas. If we want to see people come to faith in Jesus, we need to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, time after time, and then to move out of our comfort zone to do something. Wimber used to talk about how the meeting place is the training place for the marketplace. So we need to be bold and confident praying for each other here so that we can then be bold and confident praying for people uh, when we're meeting with them in other situations. Because the blessing that God gives us here is not meant to stay here. It's meant to go out to the nations. It's for everybody. And uh, so we need to discover what it is, what are the unique things that God has given each one of us. So let's stand.